The dawn of civilization. Primitive. Dangerous. Exciting. The handwriting is on the wall. If the human race is ever going to amount to anything, it needs... The most civilized caveman I have ever seen. Ah. He's come out of his cave. To the Knuckle Draggers extravaganza on Zed Digital if you're joining us live or if you're listening to the full chat at a later date on Cave Dweller Music. My name is Matt. We've been playing a handful. We've been playing the new track from Gravia um, over the last little while. They've got a split out with Thrall. We'll be touching on all of that. But one thing we have been talking about a bit here on the show recently is Immeasurable Darkness 2, which is coming up this Friday. It's the Australia Day public holiday um, it's got a whole bunch of great bands. Last week, we had a chat to Yon from Illuminable Delore and Pestilential Shadow. This week, we're making it a little bit more local, and we brought on Nathan from Gravia onto the show. First and foremost, mate, thanks for taking some time out and having a chat to us. Yeah, look, no trouble at all, Matt. And uh, yeah, thanks. thanks no for worries at all. We're, uh, we're happy to do it. Um, so like we mentioned, this is the second incarnation of Immeasurable Darkness two um how did you guys get approached for the festival i know jono from malignant aura and those guys are pretty big into organizing it uh but what yeah, was the good, process good question. Look, i think probably to, to, to put it pretty simply um you know i guess we've known the malignant aura guys for for quite a long time um so you know we're, we're sort of old and fast friends um actually john and i have a bit of a musical side project that uh that we're working on together as well so um yeah <laughs> we'll see that one's on a, on a bit of a, a loose for. timeline but uh yeah hopefully we'll see the light of day sooner rather than later um but yeah look it's just from having those relationships and i guess being into you know extreme music in in australia and then you know in brisbane in particular it's uh you, you kind of know who's who anyway and um it's it's not like that big a scene so like they're friends of ours and I guess as they're looking for lineups and, and bands that are active and, and do things. Um, that's also the other challenge, I guess, with extreme music. Sometimes there's lots of bands, but they're not always live entities. Um, yeah, you know, it, uh, they approached us for it. And, yeah, exactly. and um, you know, I guess some of the other bands on the on the lineup too, we, we know quite well. So Pestilential Shadows, you know, we, we know quite well. We've done quite a few shows with them. Uh, we, we did one this year in Farbwell year just gone in fact so uh which which went really well and we always have a good time playing with them so i think it was just you know you want to try and book a lineup with the bands that have you know that are going to fit well together and have uh, uh i guess have a good working vibe so yeah it's, it's usually people you know um and that you know you know just from those relationships you form from you know, having that shared interest so That's actually spawned um, two questions that I want to ask you. One is being, you've mentioned there that you've known Jono for a little while and you've played with Malignant Aura as well as Pestilential Shadow. Everyone that I've spoken to in regards to this festival, it seems like a coming together of, of friends. Like, you know, even though it is about, it's heavy music, it's extreme music and Immeasurable Darkness is quite a, uh, a morose title. But it seems like everyone on the lineup's either played together or played in yeah, similar look, bands I'd say that's, that's with each again, other again not uncommon from being uh like a relatively small scene as far as i guess population wise and you know if you are a live band out there and you are, are touring then um like it's not really a lucrative venture let's let's be honest so a lot of it does come from 
I guess, yeah, you know, if you're if you're visiting, then they're giving you a place to stay and vice versa. So you, you kind of, you know, try and try and keep things pretty um financially, I guess, viable by by kind of working together and you, you kind of get to know who those you know, you get to form those relationships from uh, uh, either hosting people or, or people hosting you and that time spent doing stuff. So, um, yeah, look, there's there's definitely a lot of uh, interconnections there as far as, like, personal relationships and things go. And the other thing you mentioned there, in particular with heavy music, is there's either bands that are inactive because you know, like you said, not a lucrative venture, trying to get four people in a little room is hard enough. And then in particular in the style of music that you guys play, that being black metal, there's a hell of a lot of solo projects. How are you finding the balance between working together as a wider band? Yeah, look, and, that's and a tough to one. I'd say we probably find that balance by not playing as many shows as possible. So um, I guess, yeah, that's right. Look, and we, we've and always sort of set that out. We, none of us need to do it for a day job or anything like that. So um, the reason we do it is because we like it. And I guess we, we've always taken that view that we, as a result, we can kind of pick who and when, you know, who we play with and when we play. Um, so we've kind of gone with that quality over quantity and just always taken that view that don't play a show that you wouldn't pay to go see yourself. And if you wouldn't go pay to see it, then you've got no business playing on it because... Yeah, and I think it's the other thing, you know, pe- like people are only going to look yeah. at your band the way that you look at it. So if you if you think that it's fairly disposable and kind of want to... And I think just the other thing, like, we don't have a big scene. If you play every week, then people just... There's no reason for them to con- continue to come to the show. They're like, oh, I'll just catch them next time. Not really a big problem. It's not It's not an event. There's not a reason to get out. And and at the moment, yeah. you know, fortunately, we're, we're quite spoiled for shows. But... um you want to create a little bit of well, it's like anything if you, if you um oversaturate stuff and you, you treat it like it doesn't matter then i guess people will sort of look at it the same way so you, you have to strike that balance between um you know activity and making that activity actually meaningful so that that's always the approach we take. and it becomes the law of diminishing returns if you're out there playing shows quite often like you said people go well i don't need it you know, go out and see these guys. I'll be able to catch them in. Yeah, a week, absolutely. Two I think down the, the, line the reality is that people will tell you that they want one thing, and and they do to an extent, but not to the extent that they say. So, you know, someone might say that it's great for you to play. Uh, you know, wouldn't it be great if you played all the time, or you should play more? But if they're asking that, it means they wanted to see you in the first place. But if they could, and they could do it all the time, they probably probably wouldn't want to so much. So, um, I think you've just got to. Again, just take that view that if I if I wouldn't go to see it, um, like why why would I play on it? I want to circle back to something that you said earlier on, and I think it's a really good approach. Is this isn't something that you guys are going to be approaching as your day job? Do you find that then there's less pressure on you guys as a band? to do as many shows because you've obviously, this is more a project, a passion project, something you enjoy doing rather than, no, we need to be out there playing X Yeah, look, I'd, I'd probably underline that by, by sort people. of saying, even despite that, there's there's a lot of work and there's a lot of money that goes into it, whether it's just rehearsing, um, recording, you know, working out merch, um, the costs involved in playing live and touring. So, 
there is there is to an extent, I guess, like a sort of business slash work element behind it. But um, the reality is that yeah, we we it's not like we don't need it to survive on. So we do it again because we want to do it, and in some some respects, that's freeing because what you don't want, I think, from an artistic standpoint, is is anyone telling you what you should be doing. Um, art to be is meant to be an expression, like a creative expression and a freedom. Um, so yeah, if someone's coming and going, you have to do this, you have to do that. And you know, your livelihood depends on it. Uh, there's, there's probably a degree more pressure to, to toe the line. Whereas I think uh, when you're not relying on that, you can make that choice for yourself, um, whether it makes financial sense or not. And uh, so we touched on immeasurable darkness too. And that's the one thing that we were going to touch on. But like I said, at the start there, we've been playing the uh, track that came off the split you did recently with Thrall. This is your first release in... Uh, it might be even a bit longer than that, actually. But uh, yeah, um, it's certainly the longest gap we've sort of had between uh, between releases and probably not one that we've wanted. Um, but circumstances have kind of dictated that. You know, we had COVID and then, you know, there was a lot of personal things and we, we had flooding and had some you know lineup changes so all that stuff contributes to um to delays and and i think also the other thing is once things open back up doing live shows touring gets anything you do that isn't rehearsing to record or recording ultimately takes takes away from it you know not and that's not always a negative thing of course playing shows is good but um you do it and it's kind of a lot of work and you need a bit of downtime to sort of decompress after that so it all kind of just ties into um, having that gap. So I think for us, we felt it was pretty important to, uh, I guess, get our, you know, the, the, I guess the album, the last album was primarily sort of written with our uh, old sort of guitar, guitarist lineup. And um, this was a chance to sort of introduce the, the, the new guitarists and let them put their stamp on things. I um, mean, Chris had sort of just joined, uh, after all this writing was done and had to sort of go in and just play sort of what was written. So this is a chance to let them do that. So we've actually got two songs. So there'll be yeah. two splits. One will be coming in the future. Uh, yeah, but it just meant we could get something out. I'll and keep just, an eye out for that one there. Let people know we're still still working away. Uh, and yeah, we're in the meantime working on uh, an album. It'll just buy us a little bit of time and mean that that gap's not, not as long as uh, what it would be otherwise. Um, we've touched on this several times, but have you played with and, and worked with Thrall in the past? So it seemed like a pretty easy yeah, absolutely. idea to so go. Again, We're Thrall is like another band guys. that we've known for, for quite some time. So um, we, we've we done, yeah, we've done a few shows with them. Um, one one last year that we did in Melbourne as well. And yeah, it's just easy to, easy to slot in. And again, you, you want to work with people that um, where it's, you know what you're getting into and you, you know, someone who's spent a bit of time with and, um, you know, there's not going to be any hassles. So uh, I think, you know, again, both being sort of, a, you know, Australian uh, extreme metal bands um, and sort of traveling in the same circles, it just made sense. In actual fact, the uh, Melbourne show that we did last year, um, uh, Tom, the, who's the, the singer, uh, I guess was still sort of recovering from, from uh, you know, being, being ill. I think it was COVID from memory. 
uh, and his voice hadn't sort of recovered. So our drummer sort of stepped in and did vocals on that set. So yeah, look, you know, we've a band that's easy to work with and, and we know what we're getting into and we get along. So it made sense to do. With the inclusion uh, of the new guitarist and, and the bit of a lineup change, uh, did you see Dismal Rebirth as a bit of a sonic change intentionally or was it more of a reflection of we've got some new blood in Gravia, they're going to put their own influence and their uh, own look, spin was, on the style probably that you guys a bit of both, were realistically. Um, the, the new album that, that we've been working on is definitely a bit of a, a shift uh, in terms of the tone and I think maybe just a result of the way things have been across the world the last couple of years there's a lot more uh, frustration and anxiety there's more of a tense feeling to it um so i think this was just sort of a you know also one help get the sort of the new guitarists uh a foot in the door to sort of show what they could do um and kind of introduce where things were heading so people could make the transition a little bit easier um you know and then when the album comes, it's, it's probably going to be less of a big jump. Um, yeah. I mean, look, I think it's a good change sonically, but um, yeah, ultimately you're in a band with guitarists because you want them to play guitar. Like, I, yeah, I can play guitar, but uh, you know, with, with it, with enough to write songs, but um, why have guitarists if you, you're not going to let them contribute ideas and do stuff. So it just seemed like a logical place to do it. And you hit the nail on the head there, I think. Having that, not so much a stopgap, because that doesn't seem like the right term, but there is a little bit of a step between what you've done previously with this split and then when the next split and then the eventual album comes out, you can see more of a gradual progression of what the band's doing rather than that yeah, and it's sharp just, look, the older jump stuff change probably on, between on the, the more melodic side. Um, you know, it still had, there's definitely still that element of, of maybe... Uh, some unusual, unusual arrangements or, or, or chords, I think it's a little bit, you know, a little bit warped, but um, it's probably just leaning a little bit more in that. It's taken a bit more of an aggressive tone, but again, I think people are just, and I would say this probably more broadly for society. I think people are a lot more, a lot more tense these days and you know, a lot more frustrated with the, you know, the shape of things uh, in the world. So that that's sort of playing out. Um, and as I said, there was a lot of, water under the bridge between the records um people had a lot of personal stuff we had you know we had COVID we couldn't we couldn't do the things we'd normally do we couldn't rehearse um you know that we had the impact of the floods we had two members like lose a lot of stuff so um yeah there's a lot of personal sort of frustration in there too so I think all that all that kind of comes across into into what you're doing as as it should Yeah, and like you said, art is meant to be just pure self-expression rather than being for. Well, is it? It's more cathartic in a way rather than actually yeah, creating look, I, it I for think, a particular um, audience in mind. I always sort of said metal. Metal is fairly, as far as music goes, a fairly reactionary form of music, and and you know some people will take that to because we normally use it in a political context and more on the right side, but reactionary doesn't necessarily have a political side it's in reaction to whatever the status quo is at the time so you know in the in the 80s in the u.s during the reagan era there are a lot of thrash bands that were kind of very progressive politically um, because that was in reaction to what the dominant culture was so um 
you, you respond to the events in the world around you. And, you know, if you look at Black Sabbath, the way that formed was in reaction to the conditions in, you know, in, in the UK at that time. And it's in response to, you know, whatever whatever is sort of the, the overarching uh, cultural state of or state of affairs, whether it's, you know, political or otherwise. Um, so that's more what I mean. Even Napalm Death is a reaction to, you know, the conditions at the time. So um, it, it makes sense that people's experiences are, go, are going to come across, you know, their music. And I think metal is just one of those things that, that does lend itself to, you know, the people having those responses. It's, it's less neutral in that sense. One thing that I did want to ask about, and I always find this a particularly interesting question to ask black metal musicians in particular, do you find that there is a little bit more license or a little bit more freedom not to connect to the wider culture of the genre being in Australia? Like if you were, say, a European band, you'd obviously have that direct link. The US has some larger bands and they would have those, you know, European forefathers for a lack of a better term touring quite regularly but down here in australia you can create your own sort of style and you can have a little bit more creative freedom when you're still within the genre itself but because you're so far removed and you have that freedom for lack of a better term to inject your own i think you touch uh, on personality into there it. and this is a conversation i've, I've had with a, a few other people um i guess around it i guess australian music generally um I think what Australia does well and the way that I sort of describe it is it's like you took whatever the, the template is for music, you know, death metal or, or, or black metal or, or what have you, and you just leave it out in the sun a bit too long and it kind of just gets a bit melted out of shape. Uh, and that's, you know, to me, that's that's the... that's the, Yeah, but even like what Dude, doesn't matter what the band is, there's always something it, yeah. just a little bit off-centre about them. There's something a little bit different um, that you're not going to get anywhere else. Um, I, and, and yeah, look, I, I could tell you, I couldn't really put my finger on why, but I think we've just got it in us where we don't necessarily want to copy everything that's, that's been done. We're, we're a little bit irreverent in that way. You know, um, even you look at something like werewolves, they're, they're doing, you know, great death metal. Um, but it's definitely got its own. It's definitely got its own. There's something just a little bit, you know, off. Yeah, yeah, but I think that's a really good thing. To a little have. bit off kilter. Um, would we feel more pressure if we were? It's hard to say, I guess, because how much of it is from growing up in a certain environment, and, and I can't really put my finger. Yeah, uh, and that's the thing—you don't know what you don't think, know. You know. Look, if if I'm myself and I am who I am today, then um, I probably wouldn't be too worried about what other people are doing. I, I don't really. Yeah. <laughs> And it's something that you mentioned earlier because it is quite a small scene. Everyone sort of knows everyone. You can kind of keep tabs and rather than needing to placate those external things, you're just doing it for either yourself or yeah, the guys look, you've played shows of, with multiple um, times before. You know, I think we've all probably heard a lot of other bands' albums long before they've come out. So there's definitely a lot of, hey, look, I'm working on this record. Have a listen. What, what do you think? And... um which I think is a good thing, you know. It's the, it's not like people are getting in, you know, and kind of 
bagging each other for what they're doing. It's like the people you like to work with, you, you kind of have that relationship with where you, where you share what you're doing and, and get that, get that feedback loop where it's going to be constructive. No one's going to be like, Oh, you should see I'm more like this. or you should do that. Um, it's usually like they, they know what you, you know, what your band sounds like and what it's going for. And if there's feedback to give there, some, sometimes it's good. It's like, listen to this mix and, do you think this bit sounds a bit thin or, or, or what have you? So um, there's, there's, yeah, I, I don't think it's like, it's not super competitive or anything like that, which I, I think is good because I'm not very interested in that. I think if, you know, if you're, if you see value in what you're doing, you should only be worried about what you're doing. And if other people are doing good things, then that's, that's all the more better. It's more people you can play with. It's more people. Um, so you can make better lineups uh and, and make better things happen so like I, I just don't really worry about what other other people are up to in terms of like it's not a contest um i'm just happy for them when they put something out that's good it's more good music i get to listen to i want to go back to this split that you put out with thrall you did the recording with uh pip from black blood audio have you worked with them before or is this the first time that you've worked with uh, them, we have uh, with this stuff with, split with Pip before um including some stuff on that uh project that i've been sort of working on with jono as well so uh nothing i did sort of been uh released i think don't uh, but um look we've certainly worked with him in, in other projects and things as well some of some of our other members and um it's always a good time i've actually really enjoyed working with, with pip and I, I like his process and um you know, just just as a person, really like working with him, so it's it's, it's pretty it's pretty fun. Um, yeah, actually, another thing in the works that that doing with Pip as well. So, um, yeah, yeah. Well, I don't like to. Um, oh, with Pip, that's awesome. Don't like to uh, stay idle for too long. So there's usually a few irons in the fire, but it just kind of kind of made sense to do. Um, yeah, so I'll be looking forward to doing that, doing that as well. You know, he's got a lot of good knowledge, and I think he's got a good ear for. Um, good ear for for what sounds good and and, and his approach to working with bands is is, is uh, I think you get a lot of value out of it. So, um, and I think look again, you know, he obviously worked on that cold day in Brisbane festival, which was excellent. The turnout for it was fantastic, uh, and he's just very active in in terms of the stuff that he does with for bands and um, I guess being involved in in yeah in the music scene itself and. Um, a positive presence, I would say. So, um, yeah, happy to happy to be working with him. And you mentioned there that how just active he is. I was going through a whole bunch of Brisbane heavy releases, and the amount of times that you can see in the liner notes recorded at Black Blood Audio, it seems as though Pip is the go-to person for anyone who's in Brisbane who plays anything, you know, be it from hardcore all, all the way through to like uh, to Doom. Yeah, I think seems some like of that the guy that from, everyone uh, goes to see. Good understanding of you know he's a fan of the area that he's working in, so um, he's got a very good ear. And again, I think just that a very easy to work with and that approach of you know, he'll give you feedback on stuff to, to try and do, but he's, he's definitely up for anything. And um, if you think something's not okay, he'll, he'll, he'll say it, but he'll say it in a way that you can't, you want to do it, which I think is is what you're aiming for as, as someone who's um, working with bands and, you know, kind of throwing that 
engineer slash producer's hat on it. So, um, yeah, look, you, you definitely can't go wrong if you if you want to record with him. It's, it's a great experience. You mentioned just before that you do feel like you've got plenty of irons in the fire. Is that a case that you've got a load of ideas rattling around in your head that you want to get out and released as a form of what music journaling more or less or is it just a case that you like keeping busy you like putting uh, stuff look, there's, out there's probably a few parts a, to a it. mix of I, both I, I think obviously i've got the long and more project which was uh one that one i did sort of a solo project that uh i did i do, I do like to be busy but um i guess the genesis of some of it was really trying to push myself more as a as a musician as well so i mean that one obviously we've worked with the you know, in Gravier a lot um, as a band, but uh, like to try and. Holy shit. You... Sorry, I just remember really fucking liking that Longing More release. And it's one of those. This is a thing that I'm finding, and it goes back to something that we mentioned earlier on. The more that I interview people, the more that I see these crossovers of albums that I've fucking loved and adored. And just finding out through having a chat to people like, no, no, yeah, I was, I was on that. Like I was a fan of Eliminable Delore through the guys from Malignant Aura, loved them to pieces. Then I found Pestilential Shadows and I was like, oh shit, this is cool. And then I was talking to Yon and he's like, yeah, dude, I'm in both bands. And I was yeah, like, it's a small world like fucking that. Fucking serious, so really? Usually I find most people have got a few, a few things going on. So it's sometimes it's a matter of, un, you know, uncovering, uh, and just playing that sort of six degrees of separation game to uncover them all. Um, but yeah, look, you'd be pleased. No, we actually got a, a <laughs> album um, in the works as well. So um, <laughs> hopefully you'll enjoy that one as well. Oh, I'm so excited. Um, but yeah, look, that was just a chance to push myself as a musician and try and track everything except the drums myself and um, sort of show that I, I could do it. I do a lot of the writing and stuff for Gravier as well, but I'm just not confident necessarily to play on a record so um and i also had wanted to give myself a limit where i went okay try and like write and record from scratch like a a record in you know over the space of a weekend so i didn't have any riffs didn't know what tuning was going to be anything like that and i would just go okay let's see you either will do it or you won't and not much will happen if you don't but um it was a creative exercise to i guess get that uh, creative energy flowing and having that artificial time limit kind of just let your mind sort of undistracts itself and just goes, all right, we've got work to do. And it just, yeah. A lot can be said for um, having particular timelines. Cause like you said, if you've just got no set date in sight, you can go, nah, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll get there. I'll get there. But if you go, Nah, mate. You've got, like you said, a weekend yeah, to do it. this. And look, I, it you know, kicks you your ass in the gear pretty quickly. Vocals off and stuff later, but in terms of just writing, getting all the guitars and bass and so so forth done, you want the ideas out and basically tracked within within a weekend. So um, there's that. Yeah, I've got a I've got a uh, another sort of black metal type project. Is the one I'm working on with Jono. So that's in TBC in the works, and um, the one I'm doing with uh, Pip and. Uh, and the drummer from Gravier is um, like more hardcore orientated. So, um, yeah, look, again, these are just exercises to uh, – that's I'm going to work on that one more on the production side, so work on, on mixing in. And, again, it's just to improve your skills and, and value as a musician and 
be able to um, be useful when you go in the studio. So um, identify why something needs to be a certain way or, or what's missing. So um, yeah, it's partially like a development exercise more than anything. But again, I've, I've got the ideas. So why, why not do something with them? Because if you don't do anything with them, they're, they're not going to go anywhere and like no one will hear it. No one else will get to enjoy it. So yeah, it just seems to make sense. I want to ask you a little bit more of a pointed question, and if this is a bit too on the nose, feel free to tell me to fuck off. But just from what you said there, are you more of a process-oriented person than a goal-oriented person? But the way that you were talking about those projects, it was a learning exercise and a way to challenge yourself rather than, okay, I've got a set goal in mind for what this end product is going to be and I'm going to achieve it. That's somewhat of a hard one to answer because I, I don't, like the, to me, the goal is like the rough idea. Like, what, what do I want to, what do I want to achieve? So I'd probably say maybe I'm more goal orientated, but I enjoy the process of how to get there. And look, that probably comes from, um, you know, as I guess the hobby. My other hobby is training, like martial arts. I'll do striking and then I'll grappling, and you know, so a lot of it, the way that we pick things up or the way that I like to learn is not super structured. Like I don't like someone to go step one, step two, step three, because to me, you're not really learning. You're following, like you're following a process. So you don't really have to. Yeah. So when the, when the it's conditions just following change, instructions change, rather you don't than really learning. have the ability to adapt to it. Whereas uh, I guess the way that we try and learn is, is less formal and just go, okay, look, if you're going to do this, there's three key things you're looking for. How are you going to get there? You'll you'll need to figure that out. So I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to tell you what what you need to do to take someone down or to you know um, pass someone's guard or submit them. But like here's here's the elements that make it work. And now based on your preferences, the scenario, what the other person does back, what environment you're in, you'll figure it out. Because if you ever get lost, you just go back to those like rough rough principles they apply but like they're not rules so you can ignore them if you can make it successful so long as you understand what you're doing so it's more of a i don't know what you call it like a holistic sort of general understanding of like probability and then just just working uh just working around it there's a there's a term for this and i know this because i went on like a really big chess deep dive and it's a change of tactics so rather than having you know knowing x opening and knowing if they play this i can play that it's setting up the game in a way that you can adapt i think it's basically i think it is just cut and dry called the adaptive way of playing it's just putting yourself in the best position rather than trying to run through those formulas and memorize yeah, and, look, and look a lot of it comes from just understanding what will happen like if if i put my hand out somewhere someone's going to do one of three things i can answer all of those things so therefore i can choose to do it or not do it um and 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 run with whatever happens and not be too worried about it so it's just kind of yeah it is kind of just being able to adapt because you just understand what those things are you need to orient yourself with to be roughly successful and you can kind of understand what will get in the way of that and then you kind of just then you're free to mix and match and sort of play with it, play with things. So yeah, I could, I couldn't handle like strict process that would drive me nuts. Um, but it's just like a general conceptual understanding of stuff. 
where, where then you can just go away and make things happen um, and be more spontaneous. It is interesting that you train for martial arts because I always find that there's, in particular with heavy musicians that do it as, like you do, like a a project and a goal and a way of self-expression, they're almost always tied with, it's either weightlifting or martial arts like yourself or even the uh, medieval fighting like Buhut. There's always a big crossover between heavy music and those three I found. Is that something that you've noticed through Interesting. Well, I haven't necessarily your interactions? lots and lots of martial arts, weightlifting definitely. Um, but I think some of it is, is, I guess it's a pretty extreme form of music, but I also think people need to be under under a degree of, of pressure or, or, or some, and, you know, not too much where it's bad, but, like, people need to be challenged. So I think doing that, you have to kind of challenge yourself a little bit um, and try and, like, get some level of development or, or satisfaction from pushing yourself. Um, so it probably lends itself to a degree to to some of that, Um and I don't necessarily see them as dissimilar either in the sense that I'm, I'm you know, making things happen through, I guess, you know, uh, I get, you know, your, your willpower, like projecting your willpower into making things happen. So um, I, I don't necessarily see them as different. Like well, once I'm uh, in flow and I know what's happening, I'm making things happen. Um, again, just using, I probably use my brain more than, like the limbs are really just an extension of, of what your thought pattern is. So um, to me, I'm using my brain probably more than I'm really using my fists or, you know, feet or anything like that. And that hits on that flow state that you were talking about before. If you've got a rough outline, you know, okay, if this happens, there's one of three responses that we can go here. And you're making yeah, the decision look, without yeah, consciously making that a, decision. From an offensive side, if if I've got three options and you have to guess which of those three is going to happen, and all three of them result in, you know, me being successful, you've got to play a guessing game. But you, like I'm making you guess rather than you you making me guess. So yeah, it's like it becomes very it becomes very natural to do, and you kind of do it without really being conscious of it which i think is where you want to get to for as you said that that flow state and you keep yourself busy in another way one thing that i've noticed is that you jumped on to the into the necrosphere podcast to do a top 10 uh albums at the end of 2023 is that something that you've been doing for yeah, a little so, while it yeah, seems um, jumping on and doing your top 10 i guess to be to be invited on um to do to do the top 10 uh so it's become a bit of an annual thing so the last couple of years i have done it um yeah look that that started out i guess with jackie being a fan of the band um and i think he was sort of just starting up his podcast at the time and to really see where he's taken it uh, being able to have those long form conversations and, and kind of dive into things like like we're getting to do now um yeah he invited us on and, and look uh, just one of those things when you you know, meet some people, you just instantly click with them and, and, and get along. And um, we kind of stayed in touch. And then I think, yeah, just through sort of sharing music and, hey, have you heard this and done this? Um, you know, we, we formed that friendship where, yeah, I, I think uh, 
you know, from his perspective, maybe he gets a, a guest on that's got some left of center picks um, that not everyone's going to pick up on. And, and I always go away the same. It's the discussion of like why we like or don't like something that's, that's really interesting to me. And I always come away with stuff that I haven't got to during the year. Um, so like, it's a, it's a really worthwhile exchange on top of just, you know, enjoying being able, able to catch up generally on a, on a personal level. That's the thing that I'm always finding in particular uh, doing this show is I almost always end up with more notes leaving it than what I am going in because someone will mention a band and then I'll need to go and check them out. Someone will mention a record label that I've not heard of that's putting out great stuff. I'll need to go check that out. Um, so, yeah, I think I also find that collating lists and doing a top 10 like that, it's just really fun. It's a way to sort of reminisce a little bit, but at the same time, like you said, you end up yeah, and, walking and away even with more than one music that we put get in. through. One sort of, I guess, you know, running running a label to um, being you know a fan of music in general, but also um, you know with Gravy we run that weekly sort of Spotify playlist. So I'm always churning through music and listening and stuff. So, but even then, there's still stuff that you miss. There's like so much good music that's out there. Uh, how do you get to it all? And um, yeah, the answer is you can't, but uh, it certainly helps when you've got those year-end lists and, and those conversations that you get to have with people where you find all that stuff and you're like, oh, I didn't know this was even out there and yet go have a listen. And it, it, it calls to me almost the joy of, you know, when you were trading tapes and things when you were younger or someone ripped a CD for you or um, even just walking through a physical record store at the time and, you know, you might get like, Maybe even today it wouldn't be a super impressive title, but maybe there was like a you know a Sepultura album or something there in, in amongst all the other you know kind of more popular stuff, and that would be like a that would be like a gem, like you uncovered a diamond or something. So um, there's there's a joy around discovery, I think, and and it's taken a different form now. Uh, I guess now with less sort of physical media, but that joy of discovery and sharing and, you know, you'd go to your friends and like, I heard, this, I heard this thing, um, check it out, you know. Um, there's, there's a simple joy in that that when we get sort of older and more cynical, that to be able to still have that's kind of nice. There is a real simple joy. Like uh, this weekend just gone, I was down at the Lifeline Book Fair and I, I know that feeling in its entirety, dude, like you are pouring through something and there's just like, there's dreck after dreck after dreck. And then you find something awesome. Like I found this Murray Bookchin like collection of essays and I'd only heard about him once. And the copy is just the most battered thing. I can imagine this grumpy old anarchist that had this book, like, like this corners missing out of it. It's just that kind of discovery is fun. And I did want to touch on that uh, Gravy Occult playlist that you do at the end of every week. Is that a case of you having a collection of things that you are listening to as a reference point for yourself? Are you finding that the fans of Gravy are really getting yeah, into look, it and uh, finding new stuff? Like where did the idea for that one. come from? So I guess we, we had some, I had some sort of conversations with um, Chris Marrick from Marrick Media just around, uh, you know, when you're in a band, you want to try and find how you can better uh, better sort of 
get yourself out there from you know when you when you're starting we just had a bit of a skype call and a bit of conversation and he, and he sort of suggested hey look you know might be good to pull together like a, a playlist and um you know just put put yourself in it as well but uh like just just yeah do that and just it's a good way to to do a bit of do a bit of promotion so it kind of started out from that but I mean, the reality is I was listening to a lot of music anyway, but it kind of then just forced me to make it a habit. Um, and look, you know, whether it, whether it's big or not, I think it's also nice from a band standpoint. You know, I'll, I'll have a listen to it. It's not really stuff that I'm sitting there and trying to influence myself with. It's just things that I've sort of picked up through that, almost to the point of what we were talking about before, like those discovering those little gems in amongst, you know, I've probably listened to three, four times more, stuff than what what makes it on the playlist um but the stuff that i find i think is like the gems it's like here you go um I've, I've done some of the work for you check this stuff out you know you might find the next big thing that really excites you in there um so hopefully it gets a bit of uh you know however small it, it, it's a rewarding exercise to do which is why i continue to do it um but also you know being able to do a little bit of a write-up on, on what's exciting me and why and tag those bands in let you know someone know that um someone thinks their record's really fantastic so um there's a little bit of outreach there obviously you know some bands conceivably we might play shows with one day or but it's not really about that it's, it's more around going you know these guys have worked hard they've, they've put out a good record and people should listen to it so i think you have to try and be you know fairly selfless in that pursuit but it's it's definitely rewarding at a personal level I feel that in its entirety. Like I ran a, a punk and hardcore zine ages ago because I just remember picking up, you know, like the music magazine or or Scenester or something like that when I was in uni and there'd be all these awesome bands that I'm sitting there going, what the fuck is wrong with these writers? Why is no one talking about them? And like I know it's a really small thing and it, it it's not done out of a selfish reason at all, but you have a chat to these bands and, they're just really grateful that someone's taken the time out and, and appreciated what they've done. And like, dude, if I can take what an hour, an hour and a half out of my day to have a chat to someone about a record that they've put months and months of work in. And like you said before, and it's something that you and I have returned back to several times through this conversation, like a pretty personal expression through the art, like an hour out of my day is nothing to be able to have a chat to someone and go, Hey, I recognize what you're doing. I really like what you're doing. Yeah, and Let me share look, it with again, the, the little platform that I've rewarding. developed. Um, and it gives you, it gives you a bit of a chance. If you've, if you've got any level of, of platform, how, however big it is or, or small, doesn't really matter. It's like everything that you do where you're trying to be constructive rather than destructive is, is adding value somewhere. So, um, like it is nice when a band notices something and just, you know, gives you a thumbs up or says, hi, thanks very much. Like, you know, um, cause you, you don't know whether like, it's not like, you know, no one's paying me to do it. I'm just doing it because I'm trawling along and finding things. And, and now it's kind of a habit, but you know, I, I share my band camp, uh, collection as well. So people can see what I've actually spent money on. So, you know, I'm putting, putting my money where my mouth is, so to speak. So like if I, not necessarily buy everything that's on the playlist. I might think it's good, but certainly buy a lot of records. So, um, you know, I just try and show that. And again, people might trawl through that and find something they really like that wasn't necessarily on the playlist. So, 
um, yeah, if it's useful for people, then then uh, I hope you know I, I'm happy to keep doing it. It's not I don't have any plans to stop, but yeah, if it is useful for for anyone, then I'm got I'm, I'm happy for it. I want to touch on this collected that you've got going, but before we get into that, I did want to ask, what are your listening habits? Because that playlist changes quite significantly and and quite often. It's at least once a week, and you'll make note of this song's out, this one's in. Like, where do you a find a lot of this music? And secondly, like, how are you listening to this? Is this just while you're at home while yeah, you're at my, work, a lot of my like, what are your listening habits is, like? It's kind of a weird one in the sense that a lot of my listening I do in the car to and to and from training. So I guess because I train so much, there's there's at least sort of two car trips a day. Um, if I'm traveling to work, you know, catching the train, I'll, I'll put my headphones in. So there's at least sort of two two trips there where I can get through albums. Um, I'll also do a little bit of scouting where I'll, I'll get a bunch of things into a quick listen where I'm like, oh, you know, this, this sounds pretty good. I want to check this out later. So you, you do a bit of a sift. I'll look through a whole bunch of stuff, whether it's, you know, maybe things people have sent me through the label. If it's if it's on Spotify, for example, um, things maybe friends have sent me, um, you know, websites I read that, that promote stuff. So, you know, things like No Clean Singing, there's YouTube channels that I follow for new bands. Yeah, it's, it's just a that's collection actually, of, that's a collection so of all those things, friends years. recommending stuff, you know, got a, got a bit of a group chat where people just kind of jump in and, and, hey, check this album out. So it is almost that same thing as when you're trading tapes. You just, you're just sort of going around collecting stuff from everywhere. I do a bit of a sift, hey, this is interesting. No, I'm not really into that. And then I'll sit down and do, those will be the things that I'll do on those longer listens. Um, so, yeah, it's a little bit of a process, but again, um it's kind of a habit, so like I don't it doesn't really feel like it takes time out. It takes a little bit of attention, but um, again, I'm, I'm happy. I think my life is better for for having it in there versus not doing it. Like, what what would I be doing? Watching TV or something, which is not really adding any value to anyone. So, did I get so bored watching TV? Everyone thinks that I just. I, I can't do it. And I'm like, I don't like visual media really doesn't do it for me. Like I read quite substantially, but you can't really watch TV and read a book at the same time. So it's a good way to consume two great bits of media um, together. But yeah, I know what you mean. It's always nice to check out a new album and then share it with your friends. And like you said, it's like that tape trading thing. I'm unfortunately a bit too young to do tape trading, but I do remember burning CDs. I think I still have like a, a CD wallet for any younger listeners that may be tuning into this. I've still got a CD wallet at home. Dodgy like pack of CDs, yay big. You'd get there, you'd get the texter, you'd yeah, write look, what it's on the there. The other thing on that is it's I just that simple joy. Like, uh, in a record store, which is like the best job I've ever had by, by a mile. Um, but we, all, we did trading as well. So we get people bringing things in. You find all sorts of stuff in people's collections, but... Like that was just me and, and a friend of mine, basically. It was my boss, but, you know, we, we formed a friendship through through that. But we would just sit there and just talk music and just put things on. And, you know, whether it was metal or whether it was, you know, Pink Floyd or like anything, um, just the joy of sort of experiencing music. That was, that was the day job is like, you know, run the record store and just share stories. Hey, have you seen this? Have you, have you seen this movie? Have you 
listen to this album and you'd throw it on the store and someone else would come in and they get excited about it. So yeah, it's kind of always been with me throughout life. So I, th- I think it just kind of extended it. And that's uh, going to move us nicely into yeah, sure. the Gutter so Prince Cabal. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit of that? Um, a group of us set up, I think it's, you know, it's kind of a loose collective. There's maybe a, a few sort of orbiters and, and, you know, five or six people who are sort of in, into it pretty hardcore and they sort of come and go as needed. But we, we happened during COVID where we'd set up a bit of a, a group chat amongst, I guess, all our music-related friends. Um because we weren't traveling and touring or anything like that. You, you're not seeing people that you would see uh, normally on semi-regular basis. Uh, and it kind of just kept us all a bit bit sane, I guess, if you want to call it like an equivalent of a virtual men's shed, that's what it was. People, the world was blowing up and everyone was just kind of sharing music and talking each other through personal stuff. And yeah, it was fairly wholesome on that, on that front, to be honest. But um we sort of sat there and went, look, the only reason that we're, that we're friends at all is really like what we've gotten out of music. And if it wasn't music for music, we probably wouldn't know each other. So um, knowing how easily, you know, you look at something like COVID where everything was shut for two years, we, we would see our friends who are sound engineers not having work and having to find other jobs or people who own venues and the venues were closing. You go, look, this stuff might, could easily all go away, right? And for extreme music, it's not on the top of anyone's list to go rescue like i'm sure the big name acts will get all the money and help but music's not a high priority on anyone's list generally as far as funding and help um we went look you know and like you said even especially in australia it's such a small scene everyone knows everyone anyway there's usually like one person's in three or four bands like i think Throughout this chat, we've yeah, mentioned yeah, four or five it. different and projects we, that you're involved went, with. So, yeah, <laughs> really, extreme music survives off people giving their time and effort and their blood, sweat, and tears, often for no real reward other than just doing it. Um, maybe we can, you know, put something back in. And we went, how can we do something that's not going to get in the way of what anyone else is doing? Because we don't want to. If people are going out of business, we don't want to put more you know, be competition or put thing put more people out of business. But we kind of got together and went, oh, I can do graphic design. Oh, I can do, you know, sound engineering. Oh, I've got a background in marketing. So we went together, we could probably, you know, we could probably do a fair bit. So why don't we why don't we try and set up a label and um, like but we have to make it different because if it's just another record label, we already have friends with record labels that are struggling. So it just doesn't make sense. So where we landed was doing the Asia Pacific only. So our own backyard. Um, and then uh, trying to sort of get bands that were getting ready to do their first professional release. There's a little bit of leeway there as we found sort of working across Asia and the way things are now. Sometimes people put stuff straight out to Bandcamp, but it's not really the, the whole album process. Um, so, you know, take that with a grain of salt. But generally what we say is like their first professional quality release. Um, so we take them through that whole process. And, and I guess the idea being that hopefully it's a one and done deal. So we don't sign bands for three albums. You know, there might be an exception here or there for various reasons. Like if we didn't pick up a full release and got on the back of it or something like that. But generally speaking, one and done, we've taken you through the process and we try and give them like that professional treatment. So they, they get a PR campaign. 
Um, we do press like high quality products. We try and work with local or regional regional suppliers where we can, rather than you know sending it offshore to get to get pressed. Um, and yeah, we've got a little bit of a retail network and stuff we've set up uh, that 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 you know independent stores like Black and Records or Bad Habit in Brisbane, for example, you know Utopia, Heartland. There's a few, a lot of the more independent stores uh, that take our stuff. Um, which is nice. Again, it's just people sort of showing support for for what we're doing, and um, yeah, we've we've got our eleventh release. We've just announced. Um, we've done. We we did a live show last year that went quite well, uh, and we'll we'll sort of look to see where we can, I guess, expand things within reason uh, in a sort of natural way. So, um, you know, I'm quite interested to see can we work with any are there any sort of youth music programs or anything like that that we could potentially work with and you know i'm open to all that sort of stuff so it's really a thing of time and opportunity because no one's doing it for a day job no one gets paid we just we just do it because we think someone should um but the response has been pretty good so far i think you know for people with no experience um we've we've got quite a lot done as a collective but yeah look we, we take the idea is to get bands don't know what they don't know right so they go in, they don't know that if they want to put a record on vinyl, they don't want a 60-minute album. Like, it's just... And then it's not really financially viable to go to a label as a band with no prior release history and then go, look, I've got a 60-minute album. Can you please do, like, a double vinyl? It's like, well, financially, it just doesn't doesn't make sense. Um, they don't really know about the release process, so it's fine. You, you put your... Let's just say you want to do a PR campaign. If you put your stuff straight out on Bandcamp, a lot of those like premieres for places like No Clean Singing or, or any of those big websites rely on exclusivity. So if they want to do a track premiere, but you've already put your thing straight up on Bandcamp, you, you can't do that straight away. But yeah, and no one tells you this stuff, right? You've so kind of struck yourself we've from all the foot been there. It. No. Because you, you hit the nail on the head. Like you don't know what you don't know. If you've got your release and like the guys that you're working with, it's their first professional one. They're not sitting there thinking, we need to keep this as exclusive as possible. It's like, yeah, look, well, that, if we don't right. put it all so out on Bandcamp, really no one's going to hear it anyway. That advice from us having done it ourselves and, and also like, the, the you know, we've probably made all the mistakes ourselves over time around how to almost be label ready. Yeah, well, that's right. Because I you're teaching you know, these young and the mistakes that you've well. made. So if they do stuff post releasing with us, we'll promote it on our. You know, we we want to continue to promote anything that anyone we work with does, um, because we want more bands from our region on on the world stage. So, like, it doesn't matter who they're signed to or what they're doing, we'll, we'll promote it anyway. Because, like, we think that we, they should be out there, and that's that's the end goal is to try and help them. So, how good is it when a label then goes to pick the band up and they already know what to do? And also they know what to expect. So if they're not getting looked after, they should be able to go, well, you know, I've had this experience. This doesn't really seem to match up. Like, you know, we're, we're, it's not like a relationship that gets like the one and done thing is for the release. But in terms of like if they ever want advice, if they want to ask questions or, or they want help with promoting something or doing anything, like to me that those relationships last forever because um, – yeah, it's not it's not really about doing something for ourselves. So any money we make just goes straight into releasing something else. So it's like how many people can we help versus you have to make those trade-offs with budget and time. And again, it's no one's day job. So it, it is work. Um, we're running a business without really, you know, trying to take profit. Um, 
or, or you know, do it as our livelihood, but uh, you try and be sensible as well. So, yeah, look, it's been very rewarding. Hard work. Um, 11's maybe a lot, but I think we need to sort of establish ourselves and then we'll probably go back to a more steady sort of schedule. So over what period have those 11 been released? Because by the sounds of it there, yeah, you've long put out those 11 in quite one. quick succession. So I guess I kind of use that as a way to get runs on the board because if you contact people and go, hey, sign to our label, do you want to work with us? And you've got no prior history. People, you know, fans get emails all the time going, hey, look, I've got a magazine, send me 200 euro and it'll magically happen. So um, there's no reason that they would take that on board. So I guess I, I kind of offered that one up um, knowing, look, may, maybe maybe it'll sell well, maybe it won't, doesn't really matter, but it'll, it'll get the wheels turning. So um, I can't remember what year that was now, but I think we'd be coming up on like two years. So yeah, look, we've, we've had a pretty busy schedule. It's probably a bit crazier than what you would normally want to do. Um, but I think we, from, from our perspective, we probably wanted to one, establish ourselves, um, and just show people that we were serious about it. But I think if you kept that kind of pace, you'd probably burn out. It's a lot to take on. I don't know how people do it when it's just one person. Um, we've got the benefit of having a lot of people, but it's, it's still a lot of work. So, um, we will, yeah, we'll just need to kind of get into a more steady schedule, but I think it was important to, to let people know we were serious about what we were doing and, and, you know. Oh shit. I didn't realize. See, this is what I mean. The long, the more that I chat to people, the more I see everything connected. I didn't yes, realize yeah, that, that you guys one, did a release uh, for Fructelic Story. The most recent one, I guess, before the one that we literally just announced. That's yeah, and that's the thing. Look, we've got so good many good, good bands. And I, I look, I think when you talk to people from overseas, what you find is that Australian bands do have a bit of a reputation. People go, you've got so many good bands, but because of the distance and space that we have, it's not like in our face as much. And I think there's also a level where we kind of don't necessarily oh, yeah. think of our local bands as being that good. But if you pull together like a lineup, like we, maybe like the one we have for Measurable Darkness, that would be something probably that people would want to fly to go see. But like, if you reversed it, like we want to go fly to see, you know, all these underground festivals and stuff over in Europe. But I think if you, some, some lineups, if they were decent enough and you announced them and they're Australian bands, there'd be people that'd be wanting to come across and see them. But I think we just, when you're in it, you don't really see, you don't really, yeah, you maybe undervalue um, how good, like how good we have it and how good some of our bands are. Um, but then when you hear people from overseas talk about those like local bands the way that you talk about you know bands from overseas you, you realize that it kind of works both ways so that's very interesting uh, as there so you've got 11 releases now out via the gutter Prince cabal is there a 12th one coming in the next little while like what's the uh, what's 2024 yeah, so looking like I guess for, the 11th for that one collective we've announced um, so that's stellar remains which is a Brisbane a Brisbane uh, project. Um, so that will come out in February, uh, I think 15th of February. Um, we've got another one that's definitely in the works. That's probably coming probably a couple of months after that 
it shouldn't be too long. And then um, there's a couple of things that are like in the works but aren't necessarily finalized. So I think you always got to balance between having stuff that's pretty ready to go versus, um, you know, stuff that's longer term that people are working on that'll sort of be ready on their timeline versus the fact that people send you stuff. So we, we get submissions where people send stuff in as well. So you need to leave yourself a bit of space in case you get something that's amazing come through that you, you want to, you know, sometimes it doesn't work. At the end of the day, the budget is money that we're putting in out of our own pockets and also any, obviously any sales, we kind of feed back into it, but it all just funnels back in, into it. So um, we don't have a massive budget. Um, so yeah, time and circumstances can mean you can't necessarily pick up things that you, you'd want to. You want to help everyone, but you realize that you can't. Um, so yeah, look, I, I'd say that there'll be a pretty reasonable release schedule. Um, there's probably two things that are like the one we've just announced and another one that's definite and another few that'll shape up based on timeline and, and availability. But yeah, I think it'll still be a fairly healthy release schedule, but it's maybe, you know, three to five releases a year instead of like, yeah, instead of, instead of double that. Yeah. Instead of creaming at 11. Yeah. So that's what we've got lined up for the Gutter Prince Bowl. In the terms of uh, Gravia and your musical project, what's 2024 looking like for you guys? Obviously, uh, when this will be going to air, we've got Immeasurable Darkness 2 coming up on this yeah, Friday. So uh, what's the rest really of the year looking like fire, for you guys? Uh, lit under us as far as getting the album done. Um, everyone's kind of agitated about it now. So Immeasurable, Immeasurable Darkness will probably be our last live show for a little while. Um, we've kind of got to a point where I said, right, anything that isn't rehearsing new songs or actually recording is like dead time. So like, that's it. Um, we're not, we're probably not going to play anything until we've got an album ready to go. Um, so yeah, look, hopefully again, time and personnel dictating, but, uh, yeah, we'd like to at least have something ready to, ready to go if not released um this year and uh yeah i've got all those those other sort of musical projects that will spill out they're all on their own timeline because if they're all on the gravier timeline um you you can't have like five full-time bands you have to they all need to have their own schedule so um that's how you manage it Well, thank you very much for taking your time out and having a chat to us, man. If people did want to keep up to date with uh, Gravia, the Gutter Prince Cabal, yeah, so uh, I the guess bands for that you're Gravia, in, how they go about our, doing our band so? Camp, and then we've also got uh, uh, our Facebook and our, our Instagram. I think uh, it's Gravia Cult is the Instagram. And Gravia, I think you just search Gravia on Facebook, Gutter Prince Cabal. Um, we've also got Facebook and. Uh, Gutter Prince Cabal on Instagram and um, our website is gutterprincecabal.com Well like I said thank you very much for taking the time out and uh, having a chat to no us worries. all thanks I'll for having me on Matt really appreciate it and uh, yeah, make sure you come up and say hi good to say hi in person Alright we'll pause that one there Sweet.